Okay, so Zat Hashem tonight we're having our second shur in our uh, Shovavim series. Uh, forgive the background noise. Uh, our normal location is currently undergoing some construction. So we're currently in the back of the baby Josh here and we'll make do with what we have. Um, this year should be a Nishmat uh, Al-Kitoshim, also Nishmat Rabbi Yitzhak Amechsera. Uh, it was your site is on um, on Wednesday. Uh, also, should be for for the for the for the uh, for the chayalim, and in general, just the chud for all of Kol Yisrael. So last week, before we start with uh, our topic this week, last week we had a question regarding we're talking about the um, the start of a ves- of a veset. So we had a question if when we we said if a woman has a starts staining. But it's not a full-on period yet. And then several hours later, in a separate ona, she gets her period. So let's say she starts, uh, she has a stain, she finds at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and she is at 6, and at 8 o'clock, she gets her you know, her period, mamish. So, Ravadia's opinion there is that we go after when the, the stain happened. Whereas if she stains and then it's just a stain and she doesn't uh, you know, get her period for two days later, the vessel goes after when she actually got her period. If they're very close, then you go after the stain. The stain was the telltale sign the period was coming and actually started. So the question we had last time was, what if they're not so close? Let's say they're they're only separated by one ona, right? So the staining started during the day and the period started at night. But let's say the stain started at 8 o'clock in the morning, right? Uh, an hour or two after Nitzachama, uh, and then the period didn't start till an hour or so before before the next Nitzachama. So it's separated by like twenty something hours. So in general, there um, you'd have to know uh, if this is a normal thing for the woman or not to do something like that. Um, could be we could say that the, the staining is the telltale sign the period is going to be coming, and we know that it's coming within, you know, the next 24 hours or so, so that could count. Uh, many posts can go one way, many posts can go another. Um, if such a situation happens, uh, it is a, considered a sheilat chacham. Go uh, speak to your local Orthodox rabbi, um, and if he's not local, at least someone who is Orthodox. Um, and preferably somebody who, if not a rabbi, has at least learned it in these halakhot. So, um, because different rabbinim will give you different opinions. Um, so ideally, you know, you should have one person you ask the she'elah to. You shouldn't go uh, bouncing uh, between uh, people for really all in yanim, but especially in these in yanim. Uh, you should have one, you know, specific person that uh, you ask all your she'elah to because there are different uh, traditions, as we're going to see tonight in the second part of the shi'or. So last week we did chapter 6, which was on Bestot, in Naxon's book. This week we're going to be doing 1 and 2 rather quickly, and then delving in more to chapter 4. Uh, 1 and 2 are on uh, how a woman becomes Nida, and the laws of Ketamim, or stains. And then chapter 4 is on the Zayn Nikim, and the process of getting a woman towards uh, going to the Mikveh. So how does she go from the state of Nida to being able to go to the mikvah becoming a tahora again. So we start with how one becomes nida. Again, I want to preface the uh, recording by saying uh, we do use 
correct anatomical graphic terminology. I don't like to be uh, wishy-washy. I want everyone to be clear and understand exactly what I'm talking about. So if you don't want to listen to that, then you can shut the recording now because uh, this is how we're going to do it. So a woman becomes Sida when uh, blood comes from the uterus and flows through the vaginal canal and outside the vagina. That is Nida de Raisa. Now, it also happens to be, it, it, it needs to, in order for it to be Nida de Raisa, she also has to feel it. She has to have a hargasha. So, a hargasha is something like she has a cramp or something right before, um, or as the blood is coming out, or um, if she feels uh, her cervix opening and the, the blood coming out of the cervix. Most women nowadays don't have any of these feelings. Um, so, how does a woman come into the Risa nowadays if she doesn't have a feeling when you require a feeling or a hair gusha on a Deraita level? So, Rabbi Willig uh, says, and there are a number of posts who say the same thing, that a woman nowadays she gets a period and that's a Nidaraita. She has some sort of feeling with the period and she knows when she's bleeding. May not, she may not know the exact moment it starts, but when she has a period, she's a Nidaraita. So, that, that's that. Now, initially, in, in, in regular biblical law, a woman is Nida for seven days. At the end of seven days, as long as she stopped bleeding, she can go to the mikvah that night, and she can uh, be with her husband again right after those seven days. That is not the halakha today. I want to stress that very clearly. That is not the halakha today. We do not hold like this. Do not do this. And if you do this, it is not with my permission or any permission of any rabbi to do this whatsoever, and it's not okay. Now, so why is it that we wait a certain amount of time and do all the other process of the of the Shiva Nikim. So there's a second level or a second type of tumah called a zava. And a woman who's a zava is let's say she had a period and up to those seven days she can bleed all seven of those days as long as she stops on the seventh day, she, then she can go and be tovel and she's and that's fine. She's tovel and good. Let's say now, though, she has another 11-day period, from the 8th day to the 18th day. So if she bleeds on the 8th day, so then she's what's considered a Shomeret Yom Keneged Yom, or a Zavakatana, which means that on the 8th day she uh, started bleeding, so on the ninth day she would have to do a Bidik in the morning and in the evening, and in the evening, as long as it was clean, she can uh, go to the mikveh and that's fine. If it was two days, same thing. She bled on the eighth day and the ninth day. So on the tenth day, she would just uh, do two badikas again, morning, evening. And on the eleventh night, she would go to the mikveh. If she bled for three days straight, eighth, ninth, and tenth, so she has to have what's called shivanikim. She has to have seven or a full week of 100% clean days. So can't start on the tenth. On the eleventh, she... Um, does two badikas, same thing on the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, um, and 17th, and then um, as long as all of those are clean, she could uh, be, uh, she could do the, the tevila, and she could go um, and, and, and be with uh, Torah again. 
So, in the times of the Gemara, there was a lot of confusion trying to keep all these cycles in, in check. There was it the Nanita time, was it the, the, the Ziva time. So, the, the between the Rabbanim and, and the women, they basically came up with a system where they took on the Chumras of both, of Nida and a, uh, and, a, and, a, and a Zava. And so, women have to wait until the period stops in order to do a Hefsek, in order to, to start the, the seven clean days process, uh, even if they only bled for one day. Um, and then they do seven... They have seven clean days, and at the end of seven days, they can be tovel. So, uh, that's where we are today. We wait a certain number of days after the period starts, even let's say it was only a day or two, in order to get to the uh, the stage of the Zion Nikim or the Shiva Nikim, and then we go from there, which will explain the differences in traditions in Minagim in the second part of the Shior. Before we get to that, though, there's another type of nida or nida derabanan that can happen, which comes from what's called a ketem or a stain. Right? So stains are um, in the times of Chazal are much more in tune with the needs of tuman tahara because they had to be the midash, so everyone had to be tahor, and the kelim had to be tahor, and uh, the mitzvah of chala was the araita, and you, if as long as it was tahor, you give it to the kohen. If it was tamei, you had to burn it. Um, and Maser Sheni had to be eaten b'tahara, and Netaravai had to be eaten um, in a safe tahara. So there was a lot more concern for that. So, um, also far more common back then, just with the way building was and the general lack of pest control, lice were fairly common. And... Um, it was not uncommon to, you know, squish one or whatever, and they, the the um, the, the Chachamim came up with a, a, a system basically to say that as long as the blood stain was smaller than a gris, which is a coin, uh, it's about twenty millimeters or the size of a nickel or so. As long as the stain was less than the size of a gris, then the um, the stain was tahor. It's not a problem. Even if it was fully on red. Right? Not a problem. If it was bigger than that, then it, it meant it couldn't have come from a louse because lice are very tiny. And they don't, even if you squish them, they're not going to, you know, squirt, you know, blood all over the place. So if it was bigger than 20 millimeters of this gris, so then it was, um, then it, it was for sure a, a uterine stain. So, there are certain rules, though, not just the size, but the color of the stain. The stain is brown. Right? Brown is... should be shown to rabbit, because sometimes brown can lean towards red. Um, but, you know, I, I take it to a posig. But, typically, it's not a problem. Black is a problem, because it's, it's, um, it's blood that basically congealed and, and, and turned, essentially. It's just old blood, basically. Uh, yellow is not a problem. Orange, depending on the shade of orange, could be, but typically is not. Green is not a problem, though it is a sign of an infection, so you should see a doctor, not necessarily a rabbi over there. Uh, blue also, typically a sign of infection if you had something blue. Uh, 
purple, you know, uh, again, most, anything that's not really red or like a darker brown or a black is typically going to be fine. Right? Because we have to know that if it's uterine blood, uterine blood is it's red. Um, also, the location. If a woman finds a blood spot on her shoulder, right, it's not typically, you know, anywhere near where the entrance of the vaginal canal is. So there's not going to be, it's most likely, unless she had her shirt sitting right at the entrance of her, her vaginal canal and then put the shirt on and then there's a piece the, So it's such a far-fetched situation that that's not going to be a problem unless that's the situation that actually happened. Also, the garment or uh, thing you were sitting on has to, you have to have checked it beforehand. Meaning, if you knew, if you didn't know it was, it was, if it was clean or dirty, and then you looked at it and you saw a stain, if you didn't actually check it and know that it was clean before you put it on, and now it's dirty, so then there's a suffix there. Take it to a rabbi, but tell him the whole situation. Um, but that's typically going to be fine. Um, also, if the garment isn't makabel tuma, right? So then that's not going to be a problem. So something that's makubar the karka, something that's connected to the ground, is not. So even if, uh, let's say, a woman was sitting on on the ground, and when she got up, there was a stain on the ground. The ground is mechubar l'karka. It is karka. It's karka olam. So therefore, that's not going to be uh, a ketem, and that's tahor. If she's sitting, uh, she goes to the bathroom. And when she gets up from, the, from going to the bathroom, there's a little blood spot on the toilet seat. The toilet is mechubar l'karka, and that's not a problem. Even if it's on the water of the toilet, um... That's not a problem. Most posts can go that way. There are a few who want to be machmir in there. Um, but I'm fairly comfortable saying that it's not a, an issue if it's found in the water of the toilet either. Um, also, colored garments. If the garment is colored, unless it's you know a massive steam that... Um, you know, really the only option is that it is a period, right? Or if it's, there's so much blood there that, you know, it's seeping through and there's a puddle. So that would be a period anyway. So you wouldn't have a question of a ketem, right? But if it's just a stain on the colored, gar- on the colored uh, underwear or the, the bed sheet, something like that, that's not going to be a problem because it's colored. It has to be on something white, right? Because other colors can interact with the, the whatever the stain is and change it. So you don't know exactly what the color was because it's, it's being messed with by the, the dye in the clothing. It doesn't matter if, let's say, you had a, a garment that you bleached, right? So it was colored and is now white. Or you had white underwear that you bought because it was really cheap and you decided to dye it yourself. If it's white now, then it's susceptible to tuma and you can, and a ketum could be found on it and be made, uh, and it could make the woman uh, tame. And if it's colored now, so then it's not susceptible to uh, tuma and it's not going to be a problem. It's not susceptible to this type of tuma. We're not going into dealing with tuma and tara regarding, you know, tumat made and, and all those things. We're just dealing with the tumat nida. It's not susceptible to tumat nida. Um, the laws of Kitamim also do not do not apply for something that was inserted into the vaginal canal. So even if something like, let's say, paper, right? you had a, a tampon, so a lot of them are paper-based or cotton-based. Rabbi says cotton isn't susceptible to Duma, that's going to be a machloket. Um, but a, a, a tampon generally is going to be susceptible to tuma. Why? Because it's placed inside the vaginal canal. So you don't have a hetter there because it's the only place the blood could have come from is from the uterus. But if it was found on a pad, 
the pad is fine, unless it's you know so much that it's already like a period. Right? But a little bit on a pad is not going to be the biggest deal. Now, just because the ketem is tahor and the woman doesn't become tamay from this stain, doesn't mean it's a good idea to go ahead and have relations with your wife. Right? If a lot of times a ketan can come, you know, as we talked about last week, a little bit before the onset of a period, and getting involved in their sakari, like that's not a good idea. If, if it's a signal that, hey, the period's coming, it's a signal, you know, okay, it might be to at this moment, but, you know, it, it's it's not something to, to play around with. Um, is it, toilet paper is also a potential issue. Um, even though paper is not Mechabel Tumah, it's not susceptible to Tumah, and it's therefore not a problem, the issue with toilet paper is going to be if she wipes immediately, like, from, you know, a, a second or two after the urination stops. The reason is, one of the types of, of Hargasha, or one of the types of things that can mask a Hargasha is urination. Because she feels something leaving her body, but she because she feels the urine leaving, she may not necessarily feel the drop of blood leaving. So if there's something there... You know, at the entrance uh, of the of the vagina while she's wiping, so that could be a significant problem. Take the shayla to a posting. Um, it could not be a problem if she has a uh, if, if there's any sort of talia. You know, if you could rely on something else, you don't necessarily have. It's not necessarily such a big shayla. She has a, a uh, uh, an infection, a UTI. And sometimes blood is found in more severe UTIs. So if she wiped after UTI and there's also blood in there, like, okay, you know, you, you know, there's a tlia there. You can say it's not uterine; it's from the uh, it's, uh, from the, the bladder, from the kidneys. Uh, um, so those are the basic laws of ketamine. There, the any type of steam, even though there's general kalim, red is bad, black is bad. A lot of browns are bad, but not necessarily. Um, yellow's good, blue's good, green's good. Obviously, not necessarily health-wise, but at least in terms of, in terms of nida. Um, people who are just starting out, uh, I advise unless it's you know unless the bedika cloth or a ketam is totally one hundred percent clear, take it to to a posik. And, and I encourage the husband to do this, so this way the husband gets involved. Because um, it shouldn't just, even though the mitzvah falls ninety percent on the wife anyway, the husband should involve himself however possible. This is one of the things where it's possible where he can take the, you know, he, this way he also knows that say they're on vacation somewhere and you know for the last year or two you know they've been taking the the vatikas to the you know, the rav and so they, they get an idea of what's a shaila and what's you know totally okay. So even though in general. I'm saying don't paskin for yourself. It's a good idea to become accustomed to asking so you can get accustomed to what you're looking at on a, on a monthly basis. I can say from experience, I've been doing this for uh, going on five years. I've been uh, involved in, in, in checking, you know, critical clocks and whatnot. Some things are very, very simple, right? If it's very clear, then, then you know, it's white. There's nothing there. So, okay, fine. But beyond that, sometimes you have something that 
looks really bad. And it looks scary, but it's absolutely nothing. It's totally fine. Sometimes you have something that looks almost completely innocuous, but it's not okay. So, it, it, it's, it's never a good idea to pass in for yourself, unless you're heavily involved in these things. Um, I still go, uh, try to go twice a month or so, every three weeks for continued training. Um, and continue, you know, looking through things uh, just to keep the skills up because no Myra, no Badika, no Ketan looks the same as any other one. So you'll always be faced with, with interesting situations. I can say one from experience, and we'll end with uh, Ketamim here unless there's questions, but I, I was looking at um, a series of, of Badikas one time, and... There's one that caught my attention as soon as I, I opened the pile, and uh, it was very like, bright red, but it didn't look right. It wasn't like blood red. It was like uh, it's like cherry soda almost. And I asked, I'm like, something's not right with this. This isn't normal. Like this isn't this isn't even a bodily fluid. I'm like what what is this? So the the I was working and said, good job catching that. So then what happened was the woman took it and took the manika and put it down on her furniture and the varnish on the furniture wasn't sealed and so when she put it down she put it down with no intermediate no paper or anything underneath it and she put it down directly on the furniture while it was still wet because it was wet it lifted the varnish out of the furniture right into the manika cloth and it totally you know the, the I don't want to say it made the, the Medica worthless, but you can't really do anything with that. Um, you know, it's a very hard... It's hard to say, you know, one way or the other with something like that, because you're looking at something that's, you know, been essentially damaged. Um, so, in terms of Medicas themselves, I advise don't put them down on furniture or on anything really colored. The best idea really to do is to take it and put it either on a piece of paper to dry. Um, you don't have you could look you could if you live right next to the rabbi, you know, you could technically take it while it's still wet and have the rabbi look at it, it's fine. Um, you know, there's no halacha to say you have to look at a dry versus wet or anything else. Um, but if you're not able to do that and it needs to sit somewhere before you can get it looked at, so I advise you to leave it out so it can dry, but put it on a piece of paper, a, a tissue or a paper towel or something, or stick it in an envelope, but leave the envelope open so that it's able to air dry, um, and this way it doesn't adhere to uh, the inside of the envelope. Um, I had to look through a few of those, or it, it adhered to the envelope, and so now you have to, you know, also kind of take apart the envelope to make sure you're seeing, you know, everything in there. Um, so if you're going to use an envelope, please use a plain white envelope. Don't use one of the security ones uh, or they have the, the black and white design and everything inside that kind of makes it hard to look through. That's not. That's great for writing checks. That's not great for checking batikas. Um Any questions regarding Katami before we move to uh, design the key? Good? Okay. So, once the period stops, so then a woman is able to, as we said, on a, on, a, on a direct level, as soon as the period stops, once she hits seven days, she's able to go to the mikveh. So, for a zava, she has to have, or a zava gedola, she has to have seven clean days. So, we're basically 
kind of treat women both ways now as Anita and Azava, so the period has to stop. And um, it's, just a, it's just a way to at least seven days. Um, and once the period stops, then she has to do a Hetzikhtara, which I'll explain in a second. And then goes through seven clean days. As long as those seven days are clean, then she's able to go to the uh, the mikveh. So the the rosh says that the reason we also have to wait for seven days or for a few days is that the general assumption nowadays is she either waits four or five days. There are communities, uh, I know in Baghdad there's a, a custom to keep six days before she kind of designed the Kiyam. Most people nowadays do four or five. Most people do five. Um, the Ikara Adin, according to Manash Al-Hanuk, is four. Ravadia says four. Um, I'm not going to tell you you have to do four. If you don't have a custom, you can lean back on four. Um, and um, if you know your family custom, so then that's your family custom. And then that's what you do. If your family custom is to wait seven days, there are, I know of a, a sheet like that. You have to wait seven and then a whole other seven. If, if that's your family custom, uh, I think that you could do Hatar and Dariman and, you know, go, go back at least to, to, to five days. Um, maybe not four because uh, it's on Sheila. But for sure, um, the general custom worldwide is four or five days. And typically five. Um, but I'm not going to pass in one way or the other here. Uh, the diagram we're using here is going to work with four. First Faradim, five for Ashkenazim. Um, and the reason for that is because the Rosh talks about something called Sheikh um, Zara. So when a husband and wife are together, the man ejaculates, the sperm sits inside the vaginal canal and can stay there for several days. And this is not a, not, it says so in the Gemara, it can stay there for 72 hours. Scientifically, it could even sit there for longer. But after 72 hours, the Gemara says that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's like Nisrach, it becomes uh, like nasty and kind of withers and breaks down, and it's not considered Zera anymore. And therefore, if it comes out, it's not going to make her tummy. The reason we're talking about this is because the, uh, the Torah says that when a man has, a, has an ejaculation, the emission of the of the ejaculate makes him tummy for that day, right? So he becomes a um, it's called tumat keri. He becomes a bal keri. He goes to uh, the mikveh at the end of the day, and or really any time that day, um, and then at night he's tahor again. Um, same thing for a woman, technically, as if the ejaculate went inside of her. If it came out two days later, that would also be Shechvat Zara, and that would make her tummy again also from Tumas Keri. Not Tumat Nida, but Tumas Keri. And the Rosh Pash is like this, this is what we're concerned for. And so the Shulchan Aruch says that we wait four days, right? Because four days is more, you have to wait 72 hours, but typically, you know, no one's uh, engaging. In, in, in relations, you know, right at you know, the skia line. Um, it's typically well later in the evening, and therefore um, we wait four days. Right? The day of the relations included, meaning that's the first day. Then three full days after that. 
the Ashkenazim wait five days, and the reason being is maybe uh, you know we're worried that they're engaged in relations close to, closer to Shkia, and maybe it was really beforehand, so maybe one of the days wasn't really a day. So Irma has, has a it's almost in a completely low plug of you have to wait five days. So the day of uh, from the, the um, end, the Irma says it's five days no matter what, from when the period started. So even if the last time the husband and wife were together was five days ago, so then it doesn't matter, the the clock of five days starts counting from the day she got her period. So it's the day of period, five days, and uh, and then the Zion came. Now, it discovers it between four and five days from the start of the period. For most women on the planet... It's an academic argument. Most women do not have two-day periods. Most women have three or four-day periods, sometimes five days. Sometimes, you know, it might be four days, but there's still a little bit of staining on the fifth day, so she can't get a clean half-sick. So, for the most part, that's an academic argument. Does it happen that a woman has a three-day period, and on the fourth day she could, you know, she could get a clean half-sick? Yes, it happens. I know of cases. Is it totally common? Absolutely not. So, four or five, whatever your family custom is, from a period, does not really make much of a difference. Right? It's whenever the period ends, and it's typically going to be five days or so. Might even be six, depending on how heavy the period is with the stain. Where it does make a big difference, especially for Svaradim and Ashkenazim, is if she had a stain. Let's say she had a stain that made her nida. And this is where our handy-dandy whiteboard comes into play. Let's say she, on the... We'll say the first of the month, whatever month this is, was on a Sunday. So, let's say on the fourth of the month, she had a stain. Right? We're not going to call it a a period. We'll call it a ketem. Just for... Because this is where it's going to make a huge difference. She had a stain that day. And... Let's say... Now, on the second of the month was the last time the husband and wife were together. So that was three days before. Now, it looks like two on the calendar. You know, it's the fourth minus two is, goes back to the second of the month. But again, you're including the day of the period, and you're including the intermediate day, and you're including the day that they, they were together. So that's three days. Right? So the hefsake would be the day after, on the fifth of the month. Why? Because, according to Moran, we go from when the last time the husband and wife were together was. So she had a stain. It's not a period. It didn't develop into a period. Right? And the last time they were together was in the second of the month. The first night they could possibly do a half-stake is, or they, she could do a half-stake on the third, or the fifth of the month, close to Shkia. As long as that's clean, then she could start her seven clean days on the sixth of the month, and go... Uh, and then go to the mikvah on the the night following the twelfth of the month, which would be Thursday night in our example, where again the first of the month is on a Sunday. All right, by Ashkenazim, it's going to be a totally different experience because even if we go with the same example, she had a ketam on the fourth of the month, which was Wednesday, and she the last time they were together was on the second of the month. You still have to wait from the time the ketam started. That's day one. You have to wait the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. The 8th is the 5th day. She could only do a hefsik closer to Shkia on the 8th, which would put the 
Leil Tvila on the night following the 15th of the month. So you're looking at really, you know, a full 12 days from this Ketim, whereas for Sarim, you're looking at 9. Right? If this, let's say, you know, if they had relations on the 1st of the month, and she had this Ketim on the 4th of the month, technically, she, in, let's say she had in the morning, right? a little bit of staining, nothing else, didn't develop into a period, technically she could do a half stake that night. Right? And then she could go to the mikvah. As long as she didn't get a period, obviously in the middle, she could go to the mikvah the next week. So, but that's not going to happen on Ashkenazim. There are certain exceptions for Ashkenazim where, um, let's say, the husband was out of town for like the two weeks preceding, right? So there's no way that uh, they, they would have been together. Or let's say uh, she was in the hospital, or Chas um, Shalom, she was in Avelis. So they couldn't, you know, they weren't allowed to be together while, while she was uh, sitting Shiva. So in those situations, there are postkim who will limit the Ramah's low flu, where the Ramah basically says it's five days no matter what, they will limit that in certain extreme situations, but in almost every other situation, they're going to apply it. Whereas, by us, the only time you're going to actually have to wait four days from a stain is if, you know, the stain was at eight o'clock in the morning, and, you know, the husband and wife are together, you know, that, that night, you know, the, the night preceding that morning. Or being the same halachic day, so again, if she got a period on the fourth, it's not really going to matter because we don't we're not going to go with really the last time they they were together because most likely of her period, if it's starting the fourth on Wednesday, it's probably going to at least Saturday, if not Sunday, right? Because it's going to go for five days. So until she gets the you know that clean half stake, it's probably going to be you know five days. If you have, if you don't know your family minog, and you come in a situation where, again, you were together the next morning, uh, she got her period, and it only lasted three days, so call a Sephardic rabbi, don't call an Ashkenazi rabbi, call a Sephardic rabbi, um, and, and and talk out the situation, especially if you don't have your own uh, Masoret. If you don't have your own Masoret, you don't know what your tradition is, so then it, it's something you need to ask about, because... You know, the general rule, and Avliyashiv says this too, is that if you don't have your, if you don't know what your masorat is, then you fall back on the ikar alacha. The ikar alacha is according to the Maran Shulchan Aruch. So you wait four days from the last time of Tashmish, and then you know from there, as long as she's not still actively bleeding, as long as she's still actively bleeding, you still have to push it off until she's not actively bleeding. Um, any further questions here before we? Uh, Okay, so um, now uh, during so the way this this calendar system works is at the time of the hefsek, the which is we started about an hour and a half or so before shkia. If let's say a woman going to be traveling that day, right? Let's say they're uh, they have to go. To the in-laws for yomtiv or something, right? Uh, or for Shabbat, and uh, the only time she's going to be able to do the hefsek is let's say they're leaving at, at, at noon, right? And you know the only time to to, to do the hefsek, they're not going to be able to do all the traveling, so she has to do it in the morning. So okay, but they have that's fine, right? If she's able to, if they stop at a rest stop, you know, 
closer to Shkia or something. Like I say, they're driving down the, the highway, and if they pull into a rest stop and Shkia's at six, and you know they pull the rest stop at five o'clock, they stop for gas. So if she could go into the you know facilities and, and do a bidika then, that's probably better. Um, but Mikaradin, if she does it, does it early in the morning, that's fine. Now there is something called a mochtachuk, and a mochtachuk is after a woman gets a clean half sick, and she's allowed to do several. She doesn't, unlike a bedika where it's it's one and done, meaning if it's good, it's fine. You don't you don't do multiples because you could really mess yourself up with multiples. But by half sick, you can do a few. I don't recommend more than three because it's it can be very irritating. Um, but for a half sick, uh, after if she gets a clean half sick, right, whichever number it is. Um, one, two, or three. Right. As long as the last one is clean, meaning if she did one and it was clean, and she decided to do another one because she didn't like the look of it, and that one was bad, so then it erases the first one. Right. You always go with whatever the later one is. So, um, she gets a clean half stick. The Shulchan brings an opinion down, not as Ikar al but as a good Eitzah, something called a Mokhtachu, which is where she takes another Batika cloth, and sticks it inside the vaginal canal and leaves it there from right before Shkia until a few minutes after Tzedek Kochavim. She leaves it in for 20, maybe 30 minutes. Right? Now, as an aside, uh, if she's go- doing a hefzik on Friday night, or on, fr- on Friday afternoon, and she puts in a moch, she cannot go outside unless there's an eruv with a moch in it, because it's not a garment. Right? So it's, it, is, it, it would be considered carrying. Um, so just a halachic side there. So if the eruv's down, or you don't live in a place with an eruv, you don't hold the eruv, she cannot go outside with the mocha, and she has to wait until she takes that out. The the mocha is, is there to basically make sure that the, all the bleeding is stopped. Right? Because if you're only doing one uh, hefsek, so you know that the moment that one that that cloth was inside, that it was clean, but it could be you know uh, that something would come out five minutes later. Right. No, we, but we're not going to say in the because if you, if you say you have to constantly check right, in the dover so you'd have to leave something in there forever. So the ikar is you do a half sick, you check once, that's enough. The moch is there to one is to make sure it's good, but also is let's say a woman forgets to do a badika on the first day of the zayin If she doesn't do a moch, then she has to do a half sick on the next day, meaning she pushes off her tevila. She has to have. A, at least one badika on the first day and the last day of Zayin Nikim. I the ideal is two per day morning and evening of every day first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth and last day of the Zayin Nikim. that's not always an option for everybody we'll get to that in a second but if let's say she forgot to do whatever reason the badika on that first day of the Zayin Nikim, but she did a moch the night before because that moch was inside the vaginal canal after shkia, it counts b'diavad as a bidika for the first day, because it's already it was there for the next at the start of the next day. So we know at least the start of that day was clean. We don't have to assume that the start was clean, but somewhere in the middle it wasn't, right? So it, it's a good idea to do. However. A woman is prone to yeast infections. Uh, a woman is newly married, um, or um, the, the bedikas give her uh, rashes, or she has she knows she has uh, a cut uh, or some like small little wound or something inside the vaginal canal. Don't do it. 
It's not an Ikar Lacha. And it's a good Eitzah. But it, because it's not an Ikar Lacha, it's something we can be mohal on. Right? You don't, she doesn't have to do it if it's going to make her more injured or make her susceptible to infection or something like that. To that end, if a woman is, again, prone to infections or, uh, or prone to yeast infection, currently has a UTI or yeast infection where it's difficult for her to do two badikas a day for seven days, call her up. Because the ikar alakha is one the first day and one the seventh. Ideally, even though that's the bare minimum, the bare minimum really should be one more somewhere in the middle on like the third or fourth day. And the reason being is if she does one, one on the first day, doesn't do any more, and then forgets it on the seventh day, there has to be seven days connected. Right? The first day through the seventh day. There has to be at least uh, seven, at a minimum seven days connected of that we know that the, the first of those seven and the last of those seven, there, she, it was clean. That the badikas were clean. So if she does one on the third or fourth day, even if she gets to the seventh, she can't go to the mikvah that night, but she could do another badik on the eighth day, and because there was a connection between the first day and the third day or the fourth day, and now between that third or fourth day and the eighth day, that's a full amount of days, and that's fine. So even in a situation where a woman might be given a leniency not to do, uh, or to, to not have to do 14 badikas over the seven days, um, and maybe she'll need to do one a day. There's an opinion like that that says one a day is, you know, also really good. Or, again, if she has a current infection or something, or she's just very, uh, you know, her skin is very sensitive and it will lead to problems. And so she's given a head there to only do, um, you know, to do one the first day, one the seventh day, one, one somewhere in the middle. That could also work. It just has to be, you know, that ideally there should be that one in the middle there in order to prevent, you know, uh, any you know, takalot or any bad situations happening where she, instead of pushing off the, the mikveh for one night, it now gets pushed off for a whole nother week. Um, again, with these vidikas, the same colors are going to apply to uh, Aketa. Red is bad, black is bad, uh, yellow is good, uh, you know, green is infection, but also fine, um, you know, any suffix you have, uh, take a tour of, right? The Vanimu specialize in this, have been doing it for years, are very involved in it, they know, um, they know what they're looking at, and just because something looks really bad, doesn't mean that it actually is. Sometimes something looks like a really dark brown, could be leaning towards red, but it's just a dark brown, or it's like congealed mucus, or something like that, where it really isn't that big of a deal, but you won't know that until you actually ask the Shayla. So I always encourage, ask the Shayla. There's nothing wrong with asking, you know, every time. If you're asking every time on a clean badika, that might be a different issue, and that's something to talk to a therapist about for OCD. But if there's actually something, you know, mama, some mama shoot there, and you're not sure, or you want to just get further clarity or something, like, there's no harm in that, and it's a great thing to do. Go to the Rav, and, and, and uh, you know, and talk it out. Hand on the medica. He won't hand it to you back if he's smart, um, because then you know you potentially play games with that. Most of them, they generally tell you, you know, okay, once you look at it, you throw it out, and because you know they also the, the older it, you also want to take it fresh. 
that's the other thing. You don't again. You don't have to take it the moment she does it, but you don't want to take it four days later. And be like, oh yeah, this was from the first day of Zion Nikim, right? Because that that's not helpful. Because if that one was bad, she did a half stick on you know, but you know she didn't do a half stick or she didn't do a second badika. Let's say it was from the morning. She didn't do a second one in the evening, you know. So that way, the really the, it, it, it will botch the whole system. So you you also want to take it relatively soon because the as the stain sits in the cloth, it can change colors. Um, and I know from experience that sometimes something will look absolutely fine. And, uh, you know, three days later, or three days earlier, it was, uh, you know, absolutely terrible. Um, and sometimes you can see hints of that in, in the cloth, um, or you can see where something really was more pinkish or reddish and faded. But again, you have to have the experience to know what you're doing there. So ask. Um, tip, typically, the general that has you ask during the day, or, you know, you leave it in the Rav's mailbox, or if you can't find him personally. Um, and typically the Rav will check it during the day. If it's something that's a big Shiloh, and let's say you have to get a check tonight. Let's say you had a question on, you know, the last Badika from the Zion Nikiv, and your wife's supposed to go to the mikvah in an hour, and, you know, it, 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 it's after Shkia, and it's dark outside. And normally you're supposed to check in, in outside, in shade, not in direct sunlight, but... You know, it should be checked outside in clear light, right? Because different lights, fluorescent versus incandescent versus LED, they can change the way the colors look. So, um, that's why I also say, don't, you know, rely on your own eyes at home, because depending on the lights you have at home, it could really change everything. I've seen things where inside, it looked, you know, pink, red, and terrible, and you take it outside in the sun, and it's absolutely fine. So, don't, don't rely on your lights at home. Um... But if, if it's something that has to be answered immediately, like it's an imminent dialogue, whether your wife's going to go to the mikvah that night or she has to wait a whole other week, right? so then, you know, call her out and say, listen, I need this checked, you know, in the next uh, 45 minutes. Can we do that? Can I meet you after my riv and, and have you check it so that way, you know... And most of the time, they'll be like, yes, unless they're out of town, and then they'll tell you, hopefully you have more than one shul in your town, and you, they'll tell you, you go to the other shul and go to Rabbi... Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Cholent or Rabbi Kugel and he'll tell you uh, you know what to do again there are different misoras um, as to what exactly leans good or bad in terms of coloration or whatnot. but that's not for, for you to have to, to figure out right? whoever you're asking ideally again you should have one person you ask all your shilas to especially in, in, in these in, 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 in these inyanin you don't necessarily have to have one rub you, know, you ask all your you know, every single child to. If you know one rub is not proficient in the laws of Choshe Mishpat, you don't necessarily have to ask him your questions when it comes to business, you know, ethics and laws. You can go to a Dayan or someone who's more proficient in that. Um, if he knows Nidan Yisrael better than he knows Shabbat, you can go to someone who knows Shabbat better. Like, that's not a problem. But it, it, within one particular Inyan, you should really stay with the same person. So if you have one person you ask all your Shilas to, you know, whether in terms of the calendar, in terms of, you know, uh, all your questions, ideally they should also be involved in, in checking the, the Marot and the Batikas. And you should ask them. But, again, if they're not available, or could be, you know, it's the... Sometimes it's it's hard to see, right? Whether it's leaning good or bad, and they can't really tell, but they know that, you know, this other of is really good at checking this. And sometimes they'll send you to somebody else. 
right? But what you don't want to do is go to one Rav, have him give you a psak that says either good or bad, and then go to somebody else. Right? You cannot do that. It's there's an iser to do that, right? And a Rav who knows that you went and asked the Shaila and got it and already got your your Shaila answered is not allowed to give you a psak. So if you were to go to do that, you'd have to tell them, hey, this rabbi already gave me a psak. Now it happens to be if you know you went to your local rabbi uh, who you know just got his speaker last year, right? Versus you went to you know Moshe Feinstein. Could be your Moshe Feinstein is allowed to overrule your you know your your new rabbi, right? But in general. You know, once you ask your Shiloh, that's it. And that goes for everything. It goes not just for Yilchot it goes for Yilchot Shabbat, it goes for Yitzhak it goes regarding your pods and your pans and your money and everything else. Right? Once you ask the Shailah, you're not allowed to go and ask somebody else to get a different sock. And right? we're not allowed to go sock hunting until you find the guy who's going to give you, you know, the answer you want. Our job is to bend our lives to Hashem's will and not the other way around. Um... But the best thing I can say is if you have any questions, ask them. Um, and this does get easier with practice, obviously. Um, and But that is why the Ravanim and the people who specialize in these Inyanim are, you know, make themselves available, uh, try to have refresher courses like these, um, and, and, you know, are available to, to, to continue learning with and to ask your questions to and uh, to, to serve the community and, and, you know, the capacities that they're able um, to make sure that uh, you know, we don't have problems and Jewish life can, can go on and forward. Any, uh, anything else before we wrap up? Because I think we're about done for today. I think we covered just about everything over here. Um, Going back to the calendar? Yeah, with the calendar. In case of that, that Ketem, yeah. bigger than a Gris, correct? Yeah, the, so the, the Ketem that we were talking about in the calendar is bigger than a Gris. So if it's smaller than a Gris, it wouldn't make a Nida anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. I mean, meaning you don't have to worry about uh, two Mantahara. You have to worry because it could be your periods coming soon. Um, but in terms of, you know, Dini Tuma and everything else, you don't have to worry about it. Um... So yeah, is this like a somewhat common case or not so much? It could be, um, you know, um, it, I would say in general, especially for Sfaradim, when the woman's not in Zayinikim, when she's not, you know, doing the, the, the seven clean days, she shouldn't wear white underwear. When she's in the seven clean days, she should wear white underwear because then we know if there's a stain that it's actually a, a problematic stain or not. And because we said colored garments are not a problem. So when she's not in Zainiki, when she's done with, at the mikveh, colored underwear. Right? Why? Because you save yourself a lot of headaches. Colored underwear cannot become tamay. The stain on the colored underwear does not mean anything unless it's really so much that it actually already is a period. So, as long as she's wearing colored underwear... The situation we talked about earlier, where you know she had a ketem for a little bit that day, and then you know nothing else, no period came. That's never going to happen, right? But Ashkenazim, they're more machbir with colors. They're more machbir with a lot of them by paper. Um, a lot of uh, Ashkenazim are, uh, are, are machbir. The paper is makabel tuma, so. Uh, 
any wiping, even a while down the road, is going to be uh, you know more than 10, 15, 20 seconds. It could be the end. There's a little blood. That could be a problem, Ashkenazim. Um, a, a, uh, a pad, um, you know, a panty liner. If there's blood on that, that would be a problem by Ashkenazim. Um, you know, or, or if it's a, a light-colored garment, even like a lighter blue, or uh, you know something that that would be a problem by that. Now, by white, it doesn't necessarily have to be like bleached white. It, it could be off-white, a very very light cream. And we're not talking where you know, we're not talking whiteboard white. You know, to talk about the whiteboard next to me. It doesn't have to be whiteboard white to be a problem. Right? It just has to look white to the average observer. Probably average male observer, because I think every female I know like can tell you the difference between every single shade of every single color. You know, but your average person is going to look at something not close up, but you know, look at a box of tissues and be like, you know, this is white, this is not. Right? This is this is darker. This is like a beige. Beige is not a Makavatuma color. White is, beige is not, gray is not, brown is not. Um, so again, for Saradim, as long as she's wearing colored undergarments, you don't have a problem. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is, let's say you have, she has a garment that's both white and another color. And a lot of times, it's very common for underwear to have like a white gusset, which is that little piece of strip in the middle uh, that the, the private parts sit on. And a lot of times, for some crazy reason, that part's white. Um, I don't get it, but it is. Uh, so if there's a stain on that, that part's white. So you can't get around that. Um, conversely, if the gusset is color, you know, is, is purple, but the outside of the garment is white, and it's only on the purple part, and it doesn't bleed through, so then... It's not a problem because it's on the purple. If it bleeds through, you only deal with what's on the white part. Again, as long as it's not like a massive bleed through that is signifying of a period anyway. Um, so this situation that we discussed earlier should really never happen. Um, for whatever reason it did, it did. Um, you know, or if you asked the Rav and the Rav Paskin that that was a color that was Macabre Tumor and you didn't know and you have to go with what he says because he Paskin it. Um, but this is never really going to happen. Or the other case that would happen is if, let's say, for some women, we talked about this last time, if they're on birth control, sometimes they have a period of a day. Just if they bleed for a, little, a very little bit for a few hours and that's it. Alright? So, the, so there, if let's say she bled on the fourth of the month, and the last time they were together was on the second, and she just bled for that little bit. She has to do a hefsake. And then in this situation, where she only bled for one day, right? Not for two days, but if she only bled one day, just like a couple hours that day, there the mocha is required. Right? We said the mocha is not required after, uh, you know, after the hefsake. It The only situation it's required is a situation where she bled a little bit that day, Right, not just a stain, really, but like she actually like she had like a period that day, but then stopped bleeding, right? And got a clean half stick. There you have to do a moch, and the reason is because that's really weird, um, and that's not a typical situation. So you just want to make sure that you know 
the period didn't start and stop. It's going to start again, you know. Sometimes that happens also, you know, biologically, people come back from trips or whatever, things get kind of messed up, you know, time zones and whatever, and sometimes the body will start something and then stop it for a little bit and start it again. So um, the mochas had to make sure that, you know, what actually happened was just, you know, that one-day period, which, again, if one's on birth control, that's very possible, um, you know, for, the, for that to be a one-day period. And then, you know, whatever day she does the hefzik, so that night she would have to do the mocha. Um But if she had a normal period, two days, even, or three days, four days, five days, whatever it is, once a period of, she doesn't have to do it, it's a good eta, as we said. Um, but again, if she forgets it, you know, uh, it's fine as long as she does a vidika the first day. Um, you know, if she can't do it because it makes her irritated, um, also fine. Um, you know, and in terms of asking, or in terms of the design of in terms of limiting, you know, going down from, you know, two a day for seven days to getting a little bit less, um, you know, it, it's a Shila to ask because it, it is a real Shila. It's not something that post are like, no, no, you have to do two a day. Um, we really understand, you know, the, the con- every person's constitution is very different, both mental, physical, emotional. Um, yeah, and and therefore it is a shout to ask because a lot of times they'll tell you okay do one a day or you know do four of them you know one on the first day on the third day the fifth day the seventh day I'm not saying on this recording to you know to passing for yourself oh it's hard for me so I'm gonna do you know don't do that ask a shayla discuss it with you know with your posake uh, but there's enough leniency there um, in these things to to, to move around. Um, even among Ashkenazim, like I said, um, you know, in terms of when the, their Zion Akim are allowed to start, even the Lord is dead set against any type of heter. It's five days from you know the, the time of period, including the day of the period. There are certain situations where we don't have to be uh, as machmir. Um, you know, th- there's basic laws, there's ikar lecha, and there's things we teach as basic guidelines. And then there's, you know, the actual halakha where it comes, and, and that comes down to to every person is different. Every situation is different. And your postic should know you, so that way they know your situation, they know where you're holding, they know what you're up to, you know, they know who you are in life, and that way they can give you an, an answer that, that, you know, applies to you. You know, if you're uh, struggling with this mitzvah versus if you're, you know, uh, you know ultra yeshiva living in Lakewood, there's a lot of differences and discrepancies and in, 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 in different paths that we can take with this. You, you can talk to 17 postkim and Hilchasnida, or really anywhere, and they can give you, you know, 20 different opinions um, about what exactly you should do, depending on who's asking and who's the one being asked. Uh, so it's not something to decide for yourself, um, but it is a conversation to be had, um, and that's why we're... Uh, having these classes to give people the information that they need to be able to ask good, uh, intelligent Shilas. Anything else? So, um, so, yeah, in terms of, uh, so you shouldn't use the tampon because it, it's not like a cloth. Um, if you did, it's probably okay. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it, 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 it it really has to be something that's makabotuma in and of itself. Um, so the the bidik clock and the moch should be basically the same thing. It has to be six centimeters by six centimeters at a minimum. Um, 
if you don't have a badika cloth available, a very common thing to use is a men's undershirt. Take an undershirt, t-shirt. a t-shirt, you know, yes. cut a white t-shirt up, take a, cut a little square out of it. Um, you know, an old t-shirt that's got a couple holes in it anyway, because I'm sure everybody's husband has seven of those. Um, so take one of them, say, sorry, you can't wear this anymore, and, you know, cut a few squares out of it until you can get to, you know, if you live in an area where, you know, the, your, your kosher supermarket has them on, on the shelves, um, like what every kosher supermarket has them. Um, but, you know, you know most mikvahs, you can buy them two, three dollars a pack, whatever they are, stock up on them. Don't, you know, buy one at a time. Buy a few, you know, every couple of months you go to the mikvah, buy another three or four, just to have, make sure you have a supply at home. Um, and you have to check them. That's one thing. They have to be checked. The husband doesn't do this. The wife should check them before she uses them to make sure that they're clean. Because if you don't check it, and it's a big Shiloh whether it counts or not. Because if it, if you didn't know it was clean and you saw a stain on it, how do you know that stain wasn't there before? Um, now, again, obviously if it's like a fresh blood stain, that's one thing. Um, but it, it's still, you, it, it, when we're talking about ketamim, when we're talking about batikas, everything else, the garment has to be checked, it has to be white, it has to be something else to kabel to mas, it's six centimeters by six centimeters. Um, and uh, any piece of cloth in that regard will work. So it's a batik cloth, you could use... Uh, white underwear uh, you could use uh, you know a piece of t-shirt um, I don't recommend like a dish rag um, so you have white dish rag I don't recommend that uh, terry cloth is not uh, uh, for lack of a better term vagina friendly um, you know uh, you want to use something simple smooth um, soft uh, that's not going to make irritations or make things worse if a woman knows, when we'll end with this, if a woman knows that she has, let's say, like a, a maca, an internal injury, and she knows she has like a little cut or sore or something inside the, the, the vaginal canal, so um, ask a postage before you do the badika. Um, could be we can limit it for that amount of time. Um, if you did a badika, felt something, you know, inside that didn't feel right, felt very tender, and then, you know, on the part of the cloth, you know, that touched that spot, there was a, a spot. Um, ask her of what to do. Many, uh, you know, communities have uh, aitzes how to deal with this. Um, and people that, that, that deal with this. And Hamaven um, Yavin. And uh, um, as with everything else, it's, sh- it's a shallow to ask. Um, I think uh, with that we'll we'll end for tonight. Amen.